Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of Daffy's Roundtable. This week, we're joined by a very good friend of mine and somebody I consider a mentor when it comes to the aquarium hobby. All of our conversations are super interesting, and I have no doubt that this one will be too, and so I'm super excited. I'm also super excited to finally be talking about shrimp. When I finally got back into the aquarium hobby after taking a small break, a shrimp tank was the first tank that I set up, and of course, that quickly became an obsession, and I ended up with many more shrimp tanks. Our conversation was a little bit longer than usual, so I decided to split it up into two parts. So without further ado, let's dive into part one of the shrimp talk with my good friend and shrimp expert, Theo Tsangos. Hello, Theo. How are you? I am well, Patty. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm doing great. It's been a long time coming. We've been planning this for six months. Things kept getting in the way, but... uh, Busy lives, busy lives. I am happy to be here. Yes. It's good to finally get it done. Yes, I'm very excited to have you here. Super excited to be talking about shrimp. the passion we both share. Exactly. I don't know if you want to tell them how, how we, we first first met actually was over shrimp as well. So Yeah, yeah, no. So Fadi and I both work at a very nice little pet store. If you're in Ottawa, come on by. Don't know if we should say the name, but no, no, you probably ahead. know I've, the I've, name. I've, I've said it a few times on the show. Good old so. Critter Jungle. Shout out Critter Jungle. We uh, we like what we do there. We, uh, we not only work there, but we live there. <laughs> yeah, pretty and, much. And uh, yeah, I... Um, Fadi and I met a couple years ago. Uh, I was working in Critter Jungle at that point. He was not. And uh, I see his beautiful face down the fish aisle, staring very, very intensely (laughs) into our blue dream tank, blue dream shrimp. And uh, whenever I see people doing that, it it, it hits my heart because when I was a customer, I was staring into that same exact tank. So when, I don't know, those tanks, they, uh, they reach many people, young and old, um, and uh, I, I, I don't know if I knew it right away, but uh, pretty soon I realized this guy's pretty cool, and uh, we've been friends ever since. Thank you very much. I wanted you to share that story because I actually love the way you say it, because truly staring into the abyss of that, that uh, uh, blue dream tank, I've also seen many, many customers since then doing it, and it's always like, are you, is it your first time keeping shrimp? <laughs> oh, welcome. <laughs> they're, they're hypnotizing. They there's really just, are. There's a lot of little moving pieces. Uh, you got to look really closely, which is something that we tend not to do in life. We tend to just move through really quickly. So got to take the time, look at all the little details and appreciate the beauty. Exactly. Yeah, the, the beauty is in the detail. Exactly. 100%. So, so personally, I started, I didn't even hear about shrimp till like, six seven eight years after keeping starting to keep actual like starting to keep aquariums and fish and everything else um what about you can you tell us the story of how you first started keeping fish and then from there where the well i assume fish came first for you as well before the shrimp yes yes okay so you want to give us that rundown yeah well, <laughs> well first i'd like to share with your listeners i'm in the daffy den this is a beautiful place Thank it's you a very, very, very soft hum going on, but he turned off the air pumps, which is, which is fine. Smells good, feels good. Thank so you very he's much. He's got a very nice space here. Um, I started, I worked at a big box store first, and uh, I, I had a dog at this point, but I did not have any other animals. And uh, I started with actually Oscars. So I started with huge fish. Um, got a 180 gallon aquarium so i started big but then i came across critter jungle and uh critter jungle um we don't got big fish we don't got aggressive fish it's all little aquariums aquascapes little creatures 
So that's when I really started to move towards um, everything nano. And uh, yep, I the I started shrimp. Um, I don't know, probably five or six years ago. Um, I went pretty hard pretty quickly. Lots of a rack right away of uh, different colors and went into Caradina right away. Um, definitely have learned a lot of lessons along the way. Um, but um, I feel like I have, I understand shrimp well, or reasonably well, and I am very interested in sharing that passion with everyone, with the people that I encounter in the store. And with hopefully our listeners today. No, it's, it's exactly why I chose you to do this this uh, this episode here because you, you've taught me everything I know. You've taught thousands of people everything they know. And hopefully we can break down some of those lessons uh, right here. I, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned in that um, that you started, you eventually got into Caradino and and then so you started with neo so that's actually something that we didn't we didn't even get into yet so the species of shrimp obviously there's many different species of shrimp the species of shrimp we're going to be covering today are the neo caridinas and the caridinas mm -hmm. so do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about where they came from um kind of do they live in the same habitat in the wild um what, what kind of like what the the what their habitat is like in the wild yeah well i've never been to southeast asia Unfortunately. Um, uh, I'm sure one day me and you'll take a trip out there, um, ready. but from the videos I've seen in the wild and, and a lot of people going to collect them in the wild, these are very clean water, uh, lots of vegetation, um, good minerals in the water, um, and a lot of people just like kids go down to the river or to the streams and just pick them out and it's, it's always funny talking to people awesome. of uh, Southeast Asian descent or uh, who have been there because they'll say like shrimp that we have that are 10 or 15 bucks the kids will just go collect just yeah um, so yeah I the other really interesting part about their environment is a, a lot of people say when they're collecting shrimp they're pulling them out of the water between like 55 and 65 degrees Fahrenheit wow so considering our typical aquariums we're running it closer to like 76 78 uh, it's a real sort of mind-blowing um, piece of data that they're being in their natural habitat. The water is much, much colder. And now, do we know that if it's it's colder year-round, or is it just happens to be when they're collecting? Is it something we know? Or that's the interesting part about data, because you always like you'll you'll find one piece of research that'll say it collected on this one time. Um, seasonal changes make sense. Um, closer to the equator you have sort of less seasonal changes that's true more that's true. rainy season versus dry season um but yeah generally um shrimp should be kept a little bit cooler than your most of your most of your regular fish tanks very interesting and so now are you keeping your shrimp tanks colder then i try my best okay i, I try my best i <laughs> my my basement is, uh, it's got a much more aggressive hum than, than yours, <laughs> a few more air pumps going. Yeah. Um, with a lot of tanks, uh, like the basement is a bit cooler than my other rooms, than my sort of main floor. But um, I do try to, I don't use any heaters. I try to keep the shrimps on the bottom levels of racks. Uh, when I start to see the temperature going past like 72, 73, I remove the lids. 
I even got a few little fans going sometimes, um, but it's not that shrimp will die if it's getting to 76, 78, as every, mo many people keep them um, in community aquariums. Mine is running at 76 right now. Yeah. yeah. So they, I just try to try to aim for something a little bit closer to what they're familiar with. Um, people say that like most, I think, cold-blooded animals, they speed up when they're warmer. Right. So they'll breed quicker, but they won't live as long. So I try to aim for 72 degrees for both Neos and Caridina. Um, I do use Neos in community aquariums where I, I keep them a little bit warmer. I don't tend to keep Caridina uh, in those temperatures. Um, Caridina are a little bit more finicky and uh, I don't think they will do as well long-term in warmer temperatures. Awesome, very cool, okay. And then, so we'll get to the differences between the two um, momentarily, but I, I do want to ask, um, are they easy to sex? And uh, do you sex both Neos and, uh, also Neos are Neocaridina, sort of like the nickname. I don't even know if we mentioned that, but Neos is the nickname for Neocaridinas in the hobby. Um, so do you sex Neos and Caridina the same way? Oh, I, I always like flex it on customers and be <laughs> like, yeah, I can, I can tell male from female. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's not hard it's the shape of the body um females are rounder um males ha have less of a belly more of an arched back um i've also read a lot about like the rostrum so the like the whiskers yeah uh so males tend to have much longer or no uh, males have shorter whiskers um but it's it's of course it's hard to tell when they're so when they're really small but when they're juvenile adults um it's quite easy to tell awesome very very cool both care wise and look wise what are the biggest differences between neos and caridino yeah so neos are i first start by saying neos are a better shrimp to start with okay uh, they are more forgiving in terms of water quality and water parameters. Um, they are typically like your solid colored shrimp that you'll see all the like solid red, like cherry and Bloody Marys, oranges, blues, yellows. Uh, and then you'll get the, the piebald gene, the really gene where it'll be, uh, say like red, really red, clear red. Um, and then you get like the wild where it's a darker color or stripes. Uh, Caridina are, you'll see the classic like crystal reds, crystal blacks, where it'll be like red, white, red, or uh, black, white, red. Then you get into the fancier ones like blue bolts where it's like the crazy colored of blue and white. It's and uh, yeah, golden bees are, are one of my favorites. Um, so yeah, they're, they do need slightly different conditions. Um, I do feel that uh, Neos can tolerate a larger range. They can to tolerate it warmer. Um, minerals are a big part of the health of invertebrates, uh, both minerals in the water and minerals in their food. So in terms of numbers, we look at uh, KH carbonate hardness um, with Neos somewhere around um, say like two to five is the ideal range, but I've seen people keep them much uh, higher levels. Um, say with well water, 
GH is like calcium magnesium. Uh, we, I try to get my tanks between like four and seven, although I've seen it get much higher. Um, and then pH closer to neutral. Whereas Caridina, they like softer water. Um, so they, they like, sorry, more acidic conditions. I try to aim between like six and 6.5 for Caridina. Uh, and they like low carbonate hardness. So this is the more important uh, sort of differentiating parameter. Um, they don't like much carbonate hardness at all. Uh, so I try when my carbonate hardness is creeping up between like one and two, I try to bring it down a bit more with reverse osmosis water. And then GH, I try to keep fairly high. So between like five and seven, but in my tanks, I've seen it creep up much higher than that, and they still are all right with high levels of GH. That is very cool. You mentioned RO water. Do you think that RO water is absolutely necessary for keeping um, either one of them, Neos or Caridina? Mm, depend, it depends on what you are comparing the reverse osmosis water to. Okay. So here in Ottawa, we have tap water is reasonable. Um, the pH is high, uh, but the mineral content is fairly low. Um, so you can definitely keep NEOs. Um, and especially if you can add a bit more minerals to the water. Caridina, also I tend to look at sort of shrimp tanks in multiple different ways, but one tank is where you have the shrimp and they are happy and they're doing fine. The other one is where you are, they are breeding and their babies are doing well and surviving and making it to adulthood. So, so surviving versus thriving kind of? Yes. Okay. Um, so I think that Caridina, depending on your conditions, uh, Caridina can, you can, I, you could probably breed them in our tap water. Um, you would just want to sort of supplement the, the, the GH a little bit, but the benefits of reverse osmosis water is that it strips the the tap water of everything into just uh, H2O, and then you can add minerals to bring it to exactly where you want. Okay. So I do, I don't use reverse osmosis water for most of my tanks, except for my saltwater tanks and my shrimp tanks. Um, I don't think it's necessary for Neocaridina, uh, but to really breed Caridina, um, even with our tap water, I think reverse osmosis water is a big game changer. Okay, very cool. And then you sort of already gave me the answer to this question, but uh, maybe just just a quick, 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 another quick touch up on it. Do you think you can keep both Neos and Caridinas in the same tank? You most certainly can, and many people do, um, because they have different ideal parameters you are you you are going to make a choice to favor one or the other so that's something that i've been contemplating is to put, start putting neos in all of my caridina tanks and prioritize my caridina but still have the neos breeding um hopefully um some people will say that one will outcompete the other I have yet to experiment and see whether one would. I don't, it's not clear to me why one would, um, except for the parameters. So yes, you can keep them together, but you will ultimately make a choice whether one is going to do better than the other. Okay, 
Okay, yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. Um, okay, and then, so, not mixing different species, but what is your opinion on mixing different colors of the same species? So, like, uh, red cherries with the blue dream, or um, crystal reds and crystal blacks, and, and all of that. Yeah, so, there is a type of tank uh, with Neos called Skittles. Yes. Um, so, that's... I, st I started with Skittles uh, just because I wasn't at the beginning I wasn't like super interested in like getting a lot of babies I just wanted to have a bunch of different colored shrimp um, and it's kind of cool seeing like on my Instagram that's non-existent not really <laughs> you can see a picture of a bunch of different shrimp together and it's it's interesting seeing a bunch of different colors but and I actually sorry to cut you off but I actually have a video of um, one of your shrimp tank when we threw in their pashi and I think more, over a thousand um, completely swarmed it, and I'll I'll post it here or wherever somewhere for you guys to watch yeah. it. It's crazy to see. No, a little aside. I am I am not big on social media. I'm not big on photography. This man is excellent at photography. Thank he you. He has uh, taken a lot of pictures for me, and will hopefully continue to in the future. Definitely. Yes. But he has kept them hostage until we've <laughs> until, done this podcast. Yes, that is true. So, I forgot my USB, but classic burnout. Actually, it's but so uh, I will hopefully be posting a little bit more on social media. Feel free to give me a follow. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Skittles tank. The Skittles tank, the problem with Skittles is that these are all, all these different colors are different um, trait, recessive traits. And when you breed two different colors together you will revert their colors often back to the wild type so say if you breed a red and a blue together you unfortunately will not get purple you <laughs> will get a transparent or brown shrimp some of these wild types are quite beautiful um, a lot of like you can there's a lot of interesting things happening in a shrimp tank when you're playing around with genetics but I disassembled my Skittles tank long ago, and I am just keeping each different tank a different colored shrimp. And uh, there's another thing to say about the beauty of all the shrimp in one tank looking the same. Agreed. On the other hand, where I sort of... The purists of the Caridina, who are... Uh, perhaps a little bit more of an elitist crew than the, <laughs> the, the Neos. Yes, that's uh, true. They, they like to keep them all separate as well. I, just like kind of the Skittles, I have played around with mixing all different types of Caridina. And where you would get wild types with Neos, you get some crazy combinations with Caridina. They don't all look uniform, but I have, like one of my tanks, I've, I've bred golden bees to blue bolts and they are incredible looking. Yeah. It becomes like mixing Caridina. Yeah. It's, they're not as um, easy to sell because they're not going to all look the same. Um, but I, a lot of my sort of endeavors is not necessarily about making money. Um, right. I will post some pictures about the interesting genetics that I have created and uh yeah i think that there is value in mixing caridina because you can get some shrimp that you have never seen before awesome and do you think you can ever i know you said that they come out like looking very different but do you think you can ever like specifically pick out four or five that look 
somewhat similar eventually like line read them like they do with ball pythons and other things yeah yeah well yeah. um i guess like, they do it with shrimp too like, yeah. yeah no yeah. like that that tank that i'm describing the golden and blue bolts are the original sort of founding members look different there were there were blue bolts and there were golden beats now all of the most of that was many years ago most of the founding members have passed on and all the babies um have this mixed trait of gold sort of like almost like starburst type of um aesthetic to them that is awesome very cool i um i don't know if if, if i have any pictures of that specific one but uh Maybe I'll pop by and we can get one. Yeah, we'll we'll put sure it out there as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, awesome. And then that that actually uh, is a perfect like segue to uh, the next topic that I want to cover, which is like the actual aquarium and how you keep them. Um, so if you want to maybe give us a rundown of like, I'm a new customer and I want to set up a shrimp tank, tank exactly like yours. How do you set yours up? Yeah. So as always, I, I cop out and saying like, these are my experiences. These are the things that I have done. Um, I don't do anything that would like jeopardize the health of animals, but the way I do things is different than many others. A lot of people like sort of the lab tank look that is very, very open. Lots of just um, like flat plains of, of sand or substrate uh, where the shrimp are grazing. Yep. My tanks, almost every single one ends up being a jungle. Um, I, I, the jungle is good for shrimp in many ways. That's not the best for perhaps seeing every single member at all times. And probably catching as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's another thing. I yeah. tend to not catch very often, mm. but, uh, you can always bait them. True. But, um, yeah. So the way that I keep, the way that I would keep, uh, like a, a shrimp only tank, um, is low light plants and lots of surface area. So this is a, a sort of concept in, in biology and it's probably in a lot of different sciences, but surface area maximizes um, many things. Plants use surface area to take in light. So uh, oftentimes like in low light situations, you'll tend to get like leaves that get big in a field where there's high light, you'll get grass. So in a shrimp tank, shrimps eat uh, the natural bacteria and perhaps a bit of algae that's growing on surfaces. So if you think of like an empty glass box, all you have are those flat planes to grow this natural uh, food source. Which is called biofilm? Biofilm is the main one. I think biofilm is sort of an amalgam of a bunch of different things. Cool. Okay. But uh, yep. Um, if you, so if you compare like an empty glass box to something that has like say easy a bunch of grass growing throughout it, the amount of surface area is greatly increased. Um, and and surface area is also benefits um, like babies because if you have a lot of sort of I use a lot of moss. The babies get in the moss. They are perhaps like they're more comfortable uh, because they feel safer. And um, there's lots of area for the shrimp to graze. Yeah, so 
you filtration ideally you don't want to be adding too much food to a tank you probably don't need much filtration but you can use hang on the back filters you can use canister filters so long as you modify them so that babies aren't getting sucked up into the tank very, very important <laughs> yeah so that's, that's that's a big one yeah. um nanofish as well you ideally want to cover intakes with sponges uh, just keep those sponges nice and clean um i don't use because i've got many tanks uh similar to you i like to use sponge filters yeah. So a sponge filter is something that you, it runs off an air pump, air is pumped into the sponge, and then as the air escapes uh, up to the surface, it sucks in water into this big sponge. Um, along with that water is all is particulates of food. So along with increasing the surface area in your tank, it also actually draws the food particles onto the sponge and then the shrimp will graze off of it. So all of my shrimp tanks, they're not my, they're not my best aquascapes. Um, they all contain a big bulky sponge filter uh, that the shrimp really appreciate. Um, yeah, so from there, um, I use a lot of moss. Um, I used to use a lot of grass, but I found that I was always very um, sort of paranoid that when I would be removing grass, when it would get too dense, that I would end up uh, harming the shrimp. So instead, I like to use more um, epiphytes, slow-growing epiphytes like java fern or anubias that I don't have to maintain very much. Uh, when you say grass, you're talking about guppy grass? Or... Guppy grass might be a little, well, it will still root itself, but I more mean like val. Oh, okay, like, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I found that every time I'd remove the val, you would, one, release this cloud of debris, and two, I was afraid that any of the shrimp, especially baby shrimp, that are amongst the gravel were getting crushed by stones. Right. So, yep, I choose to use moss, which is easy to pull out, I use a lot of epiphytes and I use a lot of floating plants. Right. A lot of people don't like floating plants because they grow very quickly um, and you will always have to pull some out. Um, but I like them for their, their ability to pull nutrients out of the tank, as well as even giving surface area along the vertical, along the, the top. Um, so that's, that's what I use for plants. Um, he was known as the uh, king of floating plants around here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> when we went to Montreal the most recent time, uh, like I, we went to a bunch of different stores. I also like coral. I probably That's spent true. a couple hundred dollars on coral. That was a very nice coral. Place. The biggest, the, the thing that I loved the most getting from Montreal was a new type of floating plants. Uh, I, I just I just like them. Oh, they're cool. I, I had them, a bunch of them here in the new tank, but I... Uh... They took over the whole entire surface, so I had to cut back a bunch of them. And They'll do that. Yeah. No, they will certainly do that. And uh, some people even grind up floating plants and make it into food. I haven't done that yet. Interesting. They're, they're even talking about using uh, duckweed on the space station, so that'd be pretty cool. Duckweed on the space station? Yeah. It's just, it's such an easy... As like a food source for humans. Yep. Yep. 
That is super interesting. It grows extremely quickly. It's a plague. I, so I don't like duckweed. Like I'm right. I, yeah, me like, neither. Yeah. And I'm I'm proud to see that you have very minimal amounts of duckweed. Thank you very much. I've been working I, on it. <laughs> I have waged a campaign of terror at my house against the duckweed. I sometimes like I'll be a bit intoxicated, come down at like three o'clock in the morning, and be like, time to get some duckweed. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I've, I'm almost duckweed free. But awesome, all the nice big types of of um, floating plants, I, I just can't get enough. That's yeah. Okay, so substrate. I'm not a big sand guy. Um, yes. Sand. Me neither, and this is why. <laughs> yeah. So sand is so fine that it compacts, and detritus won't get into it. Detritus all accumulates on the top. Um, Similar with your nice bare bottom tanks that you keep so clean. Thank you. Um, one, I, I don't, I don't like to do maintenance like that. All of my tanks have gravel or, or like sloopless gravel, and um, I don't use sand for basically anything other than two tanks where I like differ displays, and I like the look of the sand. Um, so yeah, all of my shrimp tanks have gravel for the neos, so inert gravel. Um, fairly large pieces of gravel where um, potentially babies can hide between but um, also where any of the detritus can accumulate if I need to do a gravel vacuum which I don't use do very often um, it's fairly easy to extract um, but if you do gravel vacuum with a shrimp tank do it into a bucket so that you can see if you've accidentally sucked up any babies Yes. Uh, Caradina, so inert gravel will uh, keep your tank, um, it won't affect the parameters of your tank. So with the inert gravel, the tank becomes a l closer to neutral. Uh, for our cases with our tap water and with the reverse osmosis water that I am tailoring to. With Caradina, they like it a bit more acidic. So I use a lot of fluval stratum and I'm, I'm experimenting with Amazonia to reduce the pH of the water slightly. Uh, so yeah, I all like with breeding them, uh, they need acidic conditions. So I use the active substrate both to benefit the plants and also to um, make the water um, into a better pH for them. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And then for the plants, I know you're using a lot of epiphytes and slow growers, you just said. Mm -hmm. um, do you use fertilizers in your shrimp tanks at all? Minimally. I don't know if you mentioned this or not already, but... Uh... Yeah, so minimally. I am okay. um, not really prioritizing the plants. Um, I don't want to see the plants dying, but I also don't necessarily want the plants to grow super quickly. So I do like to use a good like potassium and things okay. um, just because potassium is often limited in aquariums um, but I don't really use like a like something that has all the nutrients in the in the tank I I have seen it um, go completely fine in my like community tanks where I have shrimp where I do fertilize I've never seen it following the directions, having a negative impact on the shrimp. I love that little uh, disclaimer there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to overdose anything. Yeah. But, um, yep, I don't feel it's necessary in my shrimp tanks. 
Um, and um, yeah, I, I, if, if you're running like really high demand plants in your shrimp tanks, then you might need to do it. But um, my setups don't need it. The last parameter that one looks at, if you're getting furious into shrimp, which most people don't, but if you're really interested in shrimp, which you should be, <laughs> you get what's called a TDS meter. Uh, for us, it's 40 bucks. It's a little stick that you dip into the tank. It's really easy to test uh, compared to like the drops. It takes two seconds and it tests total dissolved solids in the tank. Mm -hmm. So it's also a good way like to test our row water. So our tap water, which is pretty good, comes out at around say 60 to 70 total dissolved solids. So that's everything in the water that is not water. The RO, my RO um, unit drops the TDS to about two or three TDS. Wow. So from 60 to like two or three. So that shows you how much um, the RO unit is pulling out of the tap water. And then I can bring the TDS up to where I want, um, which for, I'm a little bit generous. Um, <laughs> with the Neos, I tend to go between like 150 and 300. With the Caradina, I try to aim between like one and 200. Uh, a lot of people like to keep it really low, um, but I over time have had a lot of success keeping it a bit higher. And I interpreted that as being breeding shrimp that are a little bit hardier. That might not be the case, but when I tell people that I've had shrimp uh, Caradina breeding in 300 TDS, uh, like a lot of the purists like look at me like either I'm lying or I'm crazy. I was shocked when you said it as well. But it, um, I'm afraid it, uh, it's, been, it's been happening. Uh, so yeah, my new shrimp tanks, I like to keep it closer to 150, but my older shrimp tanks, I've had that creep up to about 300 or more. Um, it's a little bit hard. You actually gave me some good insight on TDS where you said take a baseline of what right. the tank is yeah. uh, in terms of like nitrate, GH, KH, and perhaps a lot of other things. And then when you're using your TDS meter, um, so you take a baseline of what's in the water, check the TDS, and then when you see changes, you can sort of try to guess what is changing in the tank. Yeah. So I like to keep my tanks, um, my new tanks lower. And if I see them accumulating, I usually can realize that my minerals are accumulating, in which case when I do my uh, water changes, I use reverse osmosis water that's been remineralized to something lower, like 100 TBS. Instead of your usual, whatever you're remineralizing to. Yeah. Very interesting. To bring it down slowly. Very interesting. Yeah, okay. so TDS, it's useful, um, becomes important with Caradina more, but um, not something absolutely necessary for your average shrimp keeper. And, and do you see differences in, um, I don't know what the correct term is for shrimp, I believe it's molting, or it's the yeah. shedding for shrimp, uh, molting. Um, do you see differences in molting depending on where your TDS stands or the difference in minerals in the water? I have never had molting issues. Okay. Um, so my observations sometimes contradict the observations of others. 
Um, Every gram is its own. Yeah. yeah. I, I've seen a lot of people have molting issues when their parameters change too quickly. Like I've heard people describe that they've done too aggressive of a water change and all of their shrimp will molt at once. Yes. Uh, that's no good. Yeah. Um, there's something called like the white ring of death where a shrimp will try to molt and will fail to molt. And you yes. start to see like a little white band in between their like their front part and their back part. Um, but my tanks, I've never really seen too many molting issues. You do yeah. see the occasional shrimp die, which is natural, especially when you're keeping them long-term. But um, I, I've never really kept extreme parameters, um, but I do know people that keep neocardina in hard water that comes out of a well and um, some people will say that they'll have molting issues in this situation. I've not observed it as often as some people have said. So I think stability is important. Um, I think gradual, like if you need to modify parameters, you need to do it gradually. Um, but as long as you're not doing, you, your parameters aren't extremely, like sort of at the fringes of where you should keep them, um i think your shrimp are going to do just fine awesome very very cool okay and then um moving on from parameters to more kind of like care wise or not care wise um yeah. just general keeping um what are your opinions on uh species only versus community tanks yeah so shrimp don't do well with predators. Yeah. Yes. Um, a lot of people try them with bettas. Uh, we saw a lot of bettas. We saw a lot of shrimp. Natural that people try to keep them together. Um, I Bettas will usually hunt them down. Um, if you have a thriving shrimp colony, you can potentially keep a predators with them. Like I do have, like even with some of my pistos, I have like established colonies that the epistos don't seem to be taking them all out. But if you want to maximize the amount of babies you are getting that will reach adulthood, you either want to go with fish that are considered shrimp safe, quote unquote, or a tank where you only have shrimp. So a couple, a couple like, fish that I commonly recommend with shrimp are things like the mycorrhizbora, like chilies. Yeah. Uh, CPD, celestial pearl daniels tend to go very well. Um, clown killies are all the rage these days. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, they tend to go fairly well. Um, so though at auto cats, very safe. Uh, the, ne the, the dwarf quarries like habrosus and pygmies, they are pretty safe. Um, I wouldn't, I'm never like, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those fish are taking out the occasional baby. Of course. But um, all of those fish are relatively shrimp safe. I'm glad you brought that up and said that because that is actually probably the most commonly asked question I get in a conversation related to shrimp. It's yeah. always, everybody wants to know what species you can keep them with. And so, yeah, that. That would be the list I would give as well. Um, uh, and I'll give you exactly. one little bit of information that I have recorded. Um, yes, I have please. spent also a couple of years breeding bettas. I'm out of that. 
I don't even really like bettas anymore. <laughs> uh, but bettas, for one reason or another, perhaps because they've been domesticated for, for a long time, um, have very sensitive digestion. Uh, they're prone to bloating. And the reason why I say that is that, like, say my apistos. I've got apistos in with thriving shrimp colonies. They're, they're well-fed with pellets and, and frozen food but they'll probably be taking out the occasional shrimp. Bettas shouldn't, in my opinion, be allowed to eat a buffet of shrimp. Bettas, if they're eating too much, um, from my experiences and my observations, will develop bloating and swim bladder issues. So I had, well, maybe towards the end, we'll talk about scuds. Oh, but uh, there, those uh, SOBs, I've had <laughs> tanks where in my younger years where that become overrun with very little shrimp. And I'll be like, yeah, let's put a bunch of bettas in there. That'll fix it. And Shrimp or scuds? Uh, so like scuds, yeah. So crustaceans. Uh, yeah, so it'll go both ways. If the bettas have the ability to eat a buffet of anything including live food uh, like shrimp or scuds I have seen them develop problems mm -hmm. so if you want to put predators in with shrimp you got to expect to lose some shrimp but likely not at the detriment of the predator except with bettas so okay. bettas it's do a separate talk on bettas, but well, yeah, no, ninety-five percent of the health questions of fish and of sick fish are from bettas. You know what? Uh, when I had uh, Canadian fish bet on, I asked him the same thing, and he said the two most common fish he sees are betas and goldfish. That, and that's how he started, right? Yeah, that's true. And that's so, how he started as well. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Uh, bettas are sensitive. Uh, be careful with keeping bettas. Yes, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, but I'm jaded. Don't don't take my word for everything. Try try it, but. And Epsom salt goes a long way, but uh, yeah, I, I don't put bettas with a bunch of shrimp anymore. Yeah, well, experience everything, try everything yourself, but if you are going to take anybody's word, it should be the smells right here. Um, okay, so we bringing up uh, problems about betta, what about problems in shrimp uh, tanks? Um, do you ever experience any problems with inbreeding or anything like that, or uh, what's your opinion on it? It's harder for me to see the effects of inbreeding in shrimp. Um, a lot of these animals, shrimp and fish, uh, they've evolved to be able to tolerate a certain level of inbreeding because in the wild they will they, they develop a colony and they will not often have like a big influx of different genetics. Um, so the effects of inbreeding I will still occasionally add new shrimp to my colonies um, but I don't tend to see the effects of inbreeding or no, I can't identify the effects of inbreeding. Um, I also very rarely encounter health problems with shrimp. Okay. Um, a couple ones you have to look out for are white around the face um, which can be either parasites or fungus and uh, fungus is bad. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't honestly ever had to deal with it myself, but I've seen really disturbing pictures. Uh, Vorticella, which I think it's called Vorticella, the, the little white parasite in their face, you use a little bit of salt, uh, like salt dips, 
uh, follow the directions. And uh, <laughs> it tends to uh, help them fairly quickly. Um, I do occasionally see the green fungus under their bellies, not in my own tanks, but when receiving new, new shrimp. Uh, when you when I do see that, I, I quickly remove the shrimp and put it into a tank where there isn't a colony of shrimp. Um, sometimes it will do them in. Some I, I, I've had one tank in particular where I was at the store where I was putting the, the shrimp that I was seeing sick and uh, a colony established itself there. So throughout from the sick uh, shrimp. Yes. So and, and they were all healthy. So wow. I do think that with good water parameters, um, these these pathogens can be defeated. Um, I don't tend to see much medicine sort of branded for shrimp. I think more are coming out. Even people are talking about using things like noplanaria to um, fight some forms of shrimp illness. Uh, but generally, shrimp either do well or they die. I've yeah had similar experiences there. I found that, um, and actually you just you brought up the word colony there, and I we've had a past conversation where you referred to your shrimp tanks as colonies rather than um, individual shrimp, where you kind of look at them as like a, a the whole colony as one animal rather than yeah. like a bunch of individual animals. Do you want to maybe expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So when you are group breeding animals. Uh, this can happen with live berries, this can, I, it happens with male live berries a lot, or, or shrimp or, or snails. I think of them more, I think of the tank more as, as like all the animals in it as a single unit, a colony, rather than individuals. Um, so that's where you're keeping track of, um, of course, the health of the colony, but also the trajectory of their genetics. So that's where a successful shrimp keeper um, will often have to do what's called culling. Um, it's not as um, barbaric as it might sound. <laughs> uh, I don't like ending the lives of any animals. I when I when I say cull, uh, say you have these dark red shrimp. The offspring, fifty percent of them are dark, fifty percent of them are light. I remove the light ones and put them into a separate tank uh, to start like sort of a lighter colored shrimp tank. Um, if you keep all the genetics that all the genetics that your your shrimp are producing, uh, you will often sort of muddle your lines. Right. A lot of some people, you and Greg have talked about lines of shrimp where you get to the point where all of them are beautiful colored. Just straight, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I see that with uh, some more than others. I've inherited his blue dreams and his blue dreams do breed very, very nicely. That's awesome. But I have not gotten to the point where any of my tanks um, are zero cold. Yes. Okay. I do like, and, and that's, that's the beauty of, of breeding. You're, you gotta, treat it as responsibly and, and it's a sacred thing you're doing. You're, you are bringing more animals into the world, right. um, but you can take some sort of satisfaction or deeper enjoyment out of having a say on how the next generations come out. Right. So that's where, like we're talking about the Caridina, where 
I sub I chose two different shrimp to go together and my generations are something that I've never seen before. Right. Yeah. So the shrimp, this it's a whole different hobby than saying keeping like a goldfish. Agreed. Um, okay. It is. There's a lot to it. You're you are you're affecting um, not only one animal but future generations of animals. Yeah. That's, that's and, a very. And good then way you to pass it. it on to the community. Very very good way to put it. And now do you call only for color or do you ever call for um, like health? If so, yeah. As I described, in the very rare circumstances where I see an illness, I will remove the individual that is sick and I will put it into a tank that doesn't have a shrimp colony. Okay. Um, so I do have lots of fish tanks yes. and um, yeah, um, that's, that's the reason I call for health. Like some people like for libraries say you can like sort of change the way their tail looks and things like yeah. that. I've never really called for like the size of shrimp or you, it's not really different shapes of shrimp. Um, so yeah, I, I call for a color and in the Caridina, I call for um, even patterns or, or other genetic traits that I want to bring out or minimize. Very cool, very, very cool. Yeah, no, that that absolutely makes sense. And then, and your point about adding and bringing in uh, new new genes, it's bringing in new shrimp as well. That's very interesting. Um, try to do that with the fish that are breeding as well, which I, I'm sure you can try to as we well. We do that with all animals. With all animals, right? animals exactly. With our reptiles. Exactly. Um, but for the terms of like having it be a community or a colony uh, rather than individual animal, how, just in your experience or just in your opinion, how often do you think new animals should be added in? And then because it also is in some way counterproductive, right? You're culling all these animals to get that perfect blue or yellow or whatever line. Then you're adding new genetics that could possibly be holding animals that need to be culled again, right? So how often do you think is the bare minimum that you would need to be adding? Obviously, this is just an opinion. It's a but... very interesting question. Uh, it's not something that I have really a good answer for. Uh, I don't think anybody would. Just, just like you, just like many of us, we see like a nice shrimp in the tank. We're like, I'm going to take you home. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know. I haven't heard of many f shrimp tanks kind of collapsing because they're not adding uh, new genetics, where I have heard that with things like guppies and uh, definitely with bettas and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, uh, so you, I, I don't know, like when we, when we go to Montreal, when we go to Toronto, um, it's a good idea to pick up some more shrimp. Some more shrimp, yeah. uh, just, just a few, just to spice it up a little bit. Yeah. But um, I, don't think it's as necessary for for shrimp as it is for vertebrates perhaps okay no that's awesome okay i'm gonna end part one here guys make sure to give theo a follow on instagram at nature state seven and stay tuned for part two next week i am daffy's reptiles on all social media platforms and daffy's roundtable on all podcast streaming platforms thank you for listening and we will see you next week